welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have sex educator and content creator Hannah Witten. Join us for a conversation about the passionate anger that fuels our advocacy for a sex education that deconstructs binaries. Together, we talk about toxic monogamy culture, navigating sex after pregnancy, and the Madonna whore complex. This was such a fun conversation with Hannah. And I hope everyone was intrigued by the title, right? The kinky non-monogamy and vanilla monogamy sex spectrum. What is that? You know, Hannah and I get into a conversation about the amount of othering that can happen in these spaces where we have these assumptions that you're either not kinky at all, completely vanilla, monogamous, all of that sort of narrative, or you're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? When in reality, we are much more fluid and many people are going to exist in all of these different parts. So I would say even that title should be deconstructed, which is why I threw it out there. If you're listening to me speak right now, it was enough to pull you into the episode. And so now that we're here, let's talk about deconstructing that, right? I remember one of the earlier episodes I had recorded with another guest talking about how monogamy is actually really kinky, okay? We need to talk about this frame, right? We have monogamy of you're choosing one person to be with them forever. I think people could argue that is not kinky at all, but different frame, think about it this way. No one else in the world is going to have any sexual contact with you because you're my partner, that is a level of domhood and control that is really powerful and very kinky. And it's really about the frames of how we see these things and realizing, I think, through this conversation with Hannah, how a lot of what we have encountered through her journey with monogamy and having children and my journey with non-monogamy and no kids have a lot of the similar relational context of having to have open and vulnerable conversations with your partner. And so I say all of this so that maybe we can try and deconstruct this binary that creates othering and realize we're all much more flexible and fluid in a lot of these identities. And we also talked about the Madonna whore complex. I really liked the video that I linked in the resources below that showed how this Madonna whore complex has been shown through depictions of female characters for centuries and still goes on today. And I'm curious, maybe there's a whole new category. The more I am playing with sex, the more I am playing with kink, the more I am playing with energetic exchange, I don't know. I might say that is some of the most spiritual things I could do in a lifetime. I am playing and harnessing and making such intimate connections with another human being. I do find that spiritual in a lot of ways and transformative and transcendent in multiple ways, especially when we think about things like orgasm and the amount of 
dare I say, mystical transcendence that occurs when you're in that state of pleasure and complete embodiment of what is possible in your body, I would say that is some of the most spiritual things we could be doing. Now, so maybe I am Madonna, right? In a different way. A Madonna that isn't necessarily pure by being a virgin, but truly a Madonna that is connected to the divinity that is possible in all of us, in all of the play that we can do. And so, man, when I am playing with humans and getting to get into their dark psychology and all the magic that is in there and our shadow parts and these parts of ourselves that society has so shamed and cut off from us, I don't know if there is anything more spiritual than that. So when I am doing that dark kinky play, y'all, it feels like its own form of magic transcendence that I would say is maybe the combination of the Madonna and the whore. And I'm going to keep talking about that. I'm going to keep talking about how there is so much to unpack here in terms of how we see our spiritual selves along with our sexuality because it is connected and there is so much to say there that I'll keep studying and I'll keep learning and I will keep growing and another thing that Hannah and I also talked about is the reality that we are both public figures in this space and with that means that we're gonna mess up we're gonna say the wrong things and my god I am terrified because I do intend to do this podcast throughout my life you know I'm gonna be looking back at 80 and being like damn what was I saying at that age I knew nothing and you know it scares me that I am gonna say the wrong things and will I be canceled one day for not knowing or saying the wrong things have I already been canceled and I don't even know it in some communities right with all of that fear, I hope that there can be a space where public learning is okay, where it is okay to be human, where it is okay to learn and fail and make mistakes along the way. I mean, I will say my own path of condemning homosexuals as a Christian to being a queer person today is quite literally that experience of not knowing and causing harm because of that, but learning through that path. And so... I just hope that I, Hannah, all these other people that we see in public roles and public spaces can feel more space to be a beginner, to learn, to mess up, to be human, and to grow in that together as a community. That is why I'm so thankful for all of you that continue to tune in, that message me, that grow with me, all the Patreon members on our Modern Anarchy family. Also, big shout out to Martin Michelli, who just joined the Patreon community as well. Y'all, keep me accountable. We all grow together in this. And so I am just really, really thankful for you, listener. If you're hearing this voice, you have tuned in. And I am thankful for you that you keep coming back and that together we're going to keep growing, expanding, asking big, juicy questions about the universe, about our spirituality, about our mental health. Oof, y'all, it is a fun space and I am so, so, so joyed to be able to have this be a part of my research, a part of my life, and a part of what I am giving to society. So I am so thankful for all of you and am just, yeah, joyful that I get to share these conversations with you. I hope you enjoy today's episode and tune in. All right. Well, then my first question is, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? 
I would introduce myself as a sex nerd, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Hannah. I just recently turned 31. I am a new mum. I guess that's kind of like the biggest part of my identity at the moment for now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's always going to be there now, but it is especially like front and center mm-hmm. at the moment. I am a content creator. I I don't see myself as an OG content creator because I started in like 2011 making YouTube videos. And at the time, I saw other people making YouTube videos. Like I was watching people who'd started in like 2007. But then like when you speak to people now, they're like, you started in 2011 and it makes me old. Sure, <laughs> yes. Like being on like YouTube and Instagram and things. Right. But yeah, I've been doing this for a really long time. I make YouTube videos about like sex and relationships. I'm a sex educator. And then I also have my own podcast where I talk to lots of other people about sex and relationships. I just, I love that I get to kind of explore these things as part of my work and just kind of nerd out yes. um, about it all. Yeah. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> and how did you become a sex and nerd? I love that title. The sex nerd in me was kind of always there. And then I still have trouble with imposter syndrome but like Mm -hmm. over the years I've then kind of claimed the title of sex educator um I've also like had um I've done certifications so I can say like I'm a certified sex educator but like it's one of those ones where there isn't actually like a single path to becoming a sex educator that's something that I could talk about for ages as well just like on the one hand it's great because it's kind of like there's no gatekeeping in terms of who could be a sex educator but on the other hand it's it's maybe bad because then there's no like regulation in terms of like training for people who are going to be you know quite influential especially like on young people so I've always tried to do my own kind of like really taking responsibility and taking it seriously because you know at the beginning it was just like I was just a teenager like I was 19 Mm -hmm. myself and being like, wow. I love talking about sex and I feel really comfortable doing that, whereas other people don't. And so I feel like I can use, you know, I'd already started making YouTube videos by that point. And I was like, I have this platform and how can I use it for good? Going in without any understanding of like really what it means to yeah. talk about this topic in a way that actually can impact people for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um But then I've taken it really seriously over the last few years and been like, no, I want to make sure that I'm actually doing this right and I'm not, you know, causing Mm. any harm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I got serious real quick. No, but it it does. I think as you start to have people listening to you, there's a level of responsibility to take Mm -hmm. with that, that people are listening to you, trusting you. And so being conscious of how that affects people is really important. And especially I would imagine that like, 19 to start doing that that's a lot of pressure to start feeling you know yeah it's a weird one I definitely didn't feel it at the beginning and I'm so glad that young me didn't because I think if I knew everything that I know now I wouldn't have started it would have been it would have seemed too daunting it would have seemed too big a task and I wouldn't have felt up for it but instead I've just kind of like grown and learned as uh, yeah as it's as time has passed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that I'm sure people have learned with you. I think that's some of the beauty of that, right, is that we're all humans and that we're all going to mess up and maybe say something that was wrong and go through that evolution process together. And I think that's how we collectively learn 
that there's space to mess up, that that is part of the human experience and we yeah. keep growing. Yeah, there's definitely like a representation of my my learning. Yeah. <laughs> Just like publicly available. Yes. Um, but yes. It, it, it's interesting as well because the way that I kind of like to see it is that everybody is coming to this topic from different places and different stages. And so whilst I may look back on a video that I made five years ago and just be like, oh, that's not how I would approach that topic now. I would yeah. like, I feel like it's actually missing this angle or that's not entirely correct. Some people are still, the way that the internet works, are still like accessing that now. And it might be really helpful for them because yeah. it actually might be like the first stepping stone for them in the same way that it was for me. And I think, yeah, I try and kind of make a lot of space for that in terms of like self-compassion because I can look at, back at old videos and just be like, what an idiot. <laughs> um, yes. But then also that then extends to compassion for others because if I'm looking back on that content being like, what an idiot, and somebody comes along to it and is like, actually, that was really helpful, then I'm kind of calling them an idiot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But actually, no, I have so much love for those people. And so it's kind of it, that kind of compassion has to extend to myself as well. Yeah. Um, uh, because yeah, everyone is everyone is just at different stages and in, in learning about all this stuff and different understandings. And yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone who comes to like my current videos will be at where I am, but then right. some, will, some will be educating me in the comments. Yeah. Then there'll be other people who I try and make them accessible. Um, in terms of whatever you're, where you're coming at it from. But I yeah. don't know, it's it's, it's tricky because then you just, you can't make stuff for everyone sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think about that too when um, I think about my mom is Mormon, right? So she comes from right. maybe, wow. yeah, like a yeah. different... Because like maybe one of my current videos would be too much for her. Yeah. But maybe yeah. one from like, Maybe one from like seven years ago might be a bit more gentle. <laughs> like, you know? hey, exactly, exactly. And I, as I study kink and get deeper into learning mm. about kink, I'm just like, my God, I know nothing. There is so much to know <laughs> in this world. And like, I think as you get deeper into it, it starts to have more of a language and different pieces. And so kind of like yeah. you were saying, it's like, do you try to talk to the one person on the other side or do you keep going into the deeper, deeper, deeper community yeah. that way? It, it's tricky mm -hmm. to navigate who you're yeah, speaking yeah. to. Because also if you're having to constantly explain what you mean by certain terms yeah. or shorthands all of the time, yeah. then that just might make for a really confusing piece yeah. of content or whatever. But it's right. There are different conversations to be had at different times. So you've got mm -hmm. like the, the in-group conversations where it's about support and it's about community and it's yeah. about deepening your understanding. Right. And then you've, like you said, the kind of like you've got the conversion <laughs> the preaching conversations I don't know no the yeah. more kind of like hey it's okay to like not understand all of this right yeah. now let's kind of like you know totally. back to the basics let's like get our heads around these things yeah totally 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 so I really resonate with you in that journey of uh exposed learning process out for the internet to just see whenever they that's want that's what it is yeah it's yeah. an exposed learning process <laughs> that makes me feel sick sometimes i know i know sometimes it's even yeah. like i'll be um editing podcasts that were a month ago and i'm like damn i wish i would have said this now that yeah. i'm a month older i know better <laughs> you know i'm just like, yeah 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 
Uh, I'm curious too. then, like, what was your sex education like? Because at 19, to be really confident to talk about sex, I'm like, curious, where too were confident. you at? Too confident. <laughs> hey, I mean, you're here now. The universe brought you here. So yeah, it's, path. it's good. So it's funny because I thought it originally came from like when I was 18, 19 years old, I got really into like watching YouTube videos and mm-hmm. I watched like sex education videos as well as all the other stuff. And I just got really interested in it. I was just like, this is really fascinating. But also, I didn't know this. Like, why wasn't I taught this? I definitely had a kind of like a bit of passionate anger being like, yes, what? What? Like, how have I gotten to 19 years old? And how am I a sexually active adult? And this information is uh, wasn't provided to me. Yeah. And so I thought originally that it just came from that. But then actually, when I started looking back on kind of like my earlier teenage years, there was like the little budding sex educator inside of me just like waiting to come out. Because like my sex education in school, it existed. It was pretty basic, just kind of like how not to get pregnant, how not to get an STI, you know, no means no, don't have sex if you don't want to. Like the kind of like really, like a really limited version of consent. There might have been a like gay people exist line, but nothing nothing really more than that if it was there but I remember like being split off into groups to practice putting a condom on a test tube thing and like no one in my group wanted to do it and so I was like fine I'll do it and then I remember also like after school having like friends over and I, just, I have this memory of like showing some of the boys in my class like how tampons and pads worked by like mm. run, running them under, putting them under running water and being like, look how much it expands. And so there was like this element of me just being like, look, you guys need to know. <laughs> yeah. This is you know, like, this is normal. And just kind of, I really enjoyed the kind of like demystifying it for them because like, yeah, sometimes they would make jokes about periods and or whatever. But they were curious. They were genuinely interested. They were like, oh, wow. I didn't, you know, like when you actually really tap into people's curiosity, it's there and like it's fun and people like want to learn. Yeah, I remember that. And then, and then when I was 17, I was at a Catholic college and I got in an argument with my RE teacher about how they wouldn't teach us about contraception or abortion. (laughs) so like these are like weird like little memories that I have I was like oh okay like there's something there (laughs) yeah yeah I think that's where that phrase passionate anger really excites me I think that like that inner calling to be able to to speak and to like roar about these things in a way that society needs to hear because in so many ways it's so repressed it's so scared we can't talk about these things and it's almost Mm -hmm. like we forget like how did you show up in this world? You know, like, you know, pending big asterisks for people that were in a test tube and, you know, in vitro, but like otherwise, <laughs> you know, like, how did you show up in this world? And yet we're like, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about yeah. it. And so I love when I get to hear fellow people who have that same like inner passion to bring this out into the world and who have felt that um, calling for themselves to to speak about it and to change society's views on these things. Yeah. I, I think I also, it just came from, yeah, that that kind of like anger of like, there's something not right here. But then also just this curiosity of just like, I must know everything. I must understand it all. This is 
fascinating. Yeah. Everybody tell me about your sex life and how it makes you feel. Yeah. So totally. into it. When people <laughs> ask me about my path, I'm always like, oh, you think I just showed up in this randomly? I mean, like, I went through Christian teachings. <laughs> I was, you know, a purity ring wearer. I was Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. I You've know. been on a journey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know I was queer. Like, so I think that that's where that anger comes from, that same level yeah. of, like, hey, hold on. Whoa. You know, there's yeah. so much more here. And I think what I'm even finding now is that, like, on the other side in the field of psychology, there's so much more that, like, is still repressed and mm -hmm. is not talked about in academia enough. And I think that that creates the world where so many people in my classes are, like, uncomfortable to talk about their clients with about sexuality. Ooh. And I'm wow, like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, y'all, like, this is the field of all fields where we should feel comfortable talking about the whole human experience. Yeah, and sexuality is a huge part of that. Like, even if you're asexual, because even if you're asexual, you're living in a world that presumes you're not. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to, like, impact how you feel about yourself sexually. And asexual people can still have sexual relationships. You know this. Anyway, so it's like, it impacts us all. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So to feel uncomfortable about that, that's where I yeah. get angry and I'm like, this isn't ethical for our field to not be talking about these things, to not have yeah. some working level comfortability because this is something that everyone, like you said, is going to have some sort of connection to in a different way. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the situation is in the UK, actually, but I remember learning that in the US, if you're training to be a marriage and family therapist, mm -hmm. you don't learn about sexuality. Like that's oh, not sure. on the that's not on the curriculum for being a marriage therapist. And I was like, shocked. You're not I was like, you're not qualified then. Like, right? how can you you're not qualified? Right. <laughs> you have to do a separate course to then specifically become a sexuality I therapist i know there's the certification element of like okay good like this person can be trusted but that also there's the gatekeeping absolutely that's exactly yeah. what i think is important to highlight is that a lot of this is also gatekeeping and i think that's the trickiness of it because you do want someone who's been trained who has you know the ability to check their bias and the ability to hold that back and not to be yeah. inflicting their bias on other people i think that's a lot of my fear with like not having credentials or other things like that. But the reality is also like people have credentials and still let their biases <laughs> fly out the window. So I'm yeah. like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> an another thing that we don't have like in the UK, but uh, so I did one of my sexuality certification, educator certification courses yeah. from a US organization. Sure. Um, and so you have to do a SAR. Have you done a SAR? Mm -mm. No. So it's like, a, it's called a sexuality Oh my God. Assessment, a sexuality attitudes reassessment. Mm. And so it's a, a workshop and like loads of different organizations and individuals offer them in yeah. the US. So I, I did mine online, but you can do them in person as well. And basically, I mean, they might function in different ways, but the way that my one did was that you're just exposed to all different kinds of sexualities, behaviors, yeah. lifestyles. And then in like small groups, you, the idea is that you take off your professional hat. So you're mm -hmm. like, you're actually coming into this workshop as you personally. Yeah. And so then it's a chance for you to actually look at your biases. Like when you hear people talking about ethical non-monogamy or BDSM, like what comes up for you? Like how, how do you feel about that? And so like what things do you need to be aware of if you are educating on that topic or you've got clients who 
are into BDSM or, you know, non-monogamous. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's 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 really, really great. Like I would highly recommend because then you just get a chance to kind of For sure. Really understand where you're coming at, what your personal baggage is with everything. Yeah. So then you can go into your like professional scenarios aware of that right like you it's impossible to always leave everything at the door but you but it's like you know good to be aware of and then one of the other things that the instructors are talking about is like knowing when to not take a client or not do a thing because you're like actually do you know what because of personal reasons like somebody else might be best off serving this person Yes. And that's the important thing is being able to know that within yourself, that self, you know, exploration to be able to say, yeah, this is not going to be something that's fitting for me. I've I've talked about that before with some of my supervisors where I don't think I could work with someone that's really back in like a Mormon culture. I think it'd be really hard for me to not mm-hmm, have a strong mm-hmm. bias to want to pull that person out of that culture. And yeah. so then at that point, I am not an effective person to sit with them because I have such a strong bias towards that. And it's not OK yeah. to be coming in with that. And so being able to notice that, I think, is so important to be making sure that we're not enacting harm. But mm-hmm. as you were saying that, I was thinking like, yeah, I'm a kinky polyamorous, you know, sex educator. <laughs> and <laughs> I think I scare a lot of people when I say that, you know, I think, you know, it's just like it's not talked about yeah. and it's not you know quote unquote the norm and so when you say that or introduce yourself in that way to like somebody I, I imagine you get like lots of different kinds of reactions yeah. where like it either comes across as like I have no idea what to say to you or asking about <laughs> or like someone who's like really curious and it's just like huh yeah, yeah. Just, it's like a real mix um, absolutely yeah it's, it's interesting I find like with things like kink and non-monogamy there's this real binary Mm. of of it being like you're either not kinky or you're like into some dungeon torture and you've got or or you're like more say more or like you've been with the same partner since you were like 15 years old you've never slept with anyone else like you got married or you're like single and swinging and you have like 10 different partners I think there's this mentality of like us and them when it comes Mm. to like kinky versus vanilla like monogamous and like poly when actually like I feel like it's all just like much more on a spectrum I mean like that's such a cliched thing to say when it comes to like sexuality (laughs) but it's important to say um yeah and I but I think like yeah because we often talk about sexuality and gender and things being on a spectrum but I think about things like lifestyles and preferences yeah. and those kinds of things also very much being on a, on a spectrum as well. And totally. it's, yeah, because I think hopefully then like maybe it would seem less scary. Right. Yes. And I think that's part of like the othering that happens when there's a lack of education about it, right? That's Mm -hmm. the reality of when you don't know anybody in your community who does these things, all you hear about it is the ideas that float around in the collective, you know, consciousness, which is maybe like what, like 50 shades of gray? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that's, (laughs) which is a horrible representation of BDSM and all of kink, by the way. There's really problematic natures with that relationship. But it's so popular and mainstream. I know. I ground read them. And but that's where the whole kind of like it's not this othering thing because like this is turning a lot of people on. 
Right. Like, and so the way that I imagine it is that there'll be people who are like reading Fifty Shades of Grey and like feel a little tingle in their genitals. Yeah. And they're like, oh, isn't this naughty? Yes. But then when they hear about somebody who is actually into kink yeah. and maybe actually has like a DS relationship, that to them is suddenly just like, no, that's weird. You're a freak. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Mm, and it's like, yeah. you're you're on the same spectrum. You're enjoying like fictional kinky stuff. Yeah. And then there are just people just like who f- a bit further along are enjoying like real kinky stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because then with the monogamy stuff as well, because I'm monogamous, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of kind of what I remember learning about the term like toxic monogamy culture mm, yeah which you know kind of includes things like you can't flirt with anyone else you can't have crushes on other people and like all of these things meaning that you don't fancy your partner you don't love your partner that you're that you're lying in you know that the relationship is doomed and like all of these things and so like it's really important to me to understand like actually how expansive monogamy can be but also like actually like looking at the reality of human sexuality and how then the reality of human sexuality can fit into monogamy if that's what you want totally but then you have people who are like oh you shouldn't masturbate if you're in a relationship because you should have all of your sexual needs met by your partner and if you masturbate in a relationship then some people are really offended by that and it makes me really sad yeah (laughs) Um, and then in in their heads it might be like okay so you're masturbating to porn that means you don't love me and it means that you want a threesome and it means that you want another partner and it means that actually you're you know you're suddenly going to want to start swinging and it's like no not necessarily Uh, yeah it is this like you see it as like all or nothing black and white yes yes yeah it's tricky absolutely I'm curious if you know of the work um, from Dean Spade about the romance myth no highly recommend their stuff they're really amazing we recorded an episode in the past and like just talking about the realities of the romance myth that kind of creates that world of you know if i am attracted to anybody else it is somehow meaning that i don't love you and that kind of like conflicts with our idea of the romance myth of when you Mm -hmm. fall in love and when you're with one person it is that person becomes your everything yeah Yeah. and it's like that i think is heartbreaking to me monogamy is beautiful it is heartbreaking for me to say that you can no longer see the world as beautiful which means finding other people attractive and saying that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. person out there i am choosing to focus my energy here because i'm building something here but I'm not going to deny the reality that there is beauty in humanity out in the world. Yeah. yeah. I remember like throughout my entire life, I was always that kind of person who like, as soon as I would develop a crush on somebody else, it would replace the feelings that I had for the other person. Mm-hmm. So I was genuinely like these people who worry about <laughs> like monogamy and polyamory. Like I was, I was their worst nightmare because as soon as I felt any attraction to somebody else, I'd be like, okay, no, I'm interested in that person. Bye. But I mean, yeah. I was in my teens and early twenties. Sure. So it's like, whatever. But then I remember like when I met, um, when I was with my now husband and mm-hmm. um, we'd been going out like almost a year and I met someone who I had like an immediate, like attraction to. Mm-hmm. And there was just like such vibes. And I was like, if I was single, I would be pursuing like 100%. But the wild thing to me was is that like I actually 
felt quite torn up inside about it because I was like, I've never experienced having like a proper, proper crush on someone. Yeah. And I was fairly confident that the feelings were reciprocated as well. Like, you know, you yeah. can just tell. You mm-hmm. can tell. You can feel it. Yeah. You can feel the energy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd never felt that feeling before, but it not replaced the feeling feelings that I had for my partner. Yeah. And so I was just like, how do I have this crush? But I still love my partner because that had never happened to me before. And I was like, what is going on? And yeah, it was wild. And I ended up talking to my partner about it as well. Like, and just being like, this happened. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that crush faded. And then here I am still six years later with my partner. And and also we now have the kind of relationship where we can talk to each other about crushes that we develop on people, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And And it now means... Because I've I've maybe had one other crush on someone that has been a similar kind of intensity yeah. um, since then, but it didn't eat me up. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't make me feel horrible and guilty for experiencing yeah. that uh, because there was this understanding in my relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now that you've brought that out into the open, mm-hmm. realize that it's not a deal breaker. You can continue to build the beautiful relationship that you're building. It's okay yeah. to bring up those feelings because I would say those feelings are normal those feelings are biological like we shouldn't be having to (laughs) deny that aspect of ourselves. how you choose to go about it everyone gets to choose how they construct their life but denying the reality of that human experience I think is what leads to a lot of pain I mean I mean Mm -hmm. I remember when I was doing monogamous relationships in the past like going to the movie theaters and saying that like I found an actor like attractive on screen and my Mm. My partner at the time was really offended by that and was like, "Oh, no, that's like the real extreme end of I, like the insecurity." <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But again, within the romance myth, it makes sense. And again, within the romance myth, it makes sense that we would feel guilt within all of this. And I think that's mm-hmm. like part of the trickiness of all of these experiences too. Is that like when we feel that sense of guilt, is it because of a sense of truth within us, or is it it because mm. of a socialization that has taught us a certain An way expectation. of expectation? Yeah, that is maybe not reflective of the, you know, the reality of our experience. You know, when I was stepping yeah. out of purity culture, I felt a lot of shame mm-hmm. and a lot of guilt. But in my whole path and trajectory, I think that was the, the right thing for me to do, you know? Yeah. So I think being able to sit with those emotions and like honor, you know, where they're coming from and giving ourselves some compassion for why we feel that way and then being able to talk about them with whoever we're with big yeah. pieces to normalize this process and at the end of the day to bring more connection in our relationships yeah for sure and and like you said like however you go about it that then is like to be negotiated yeah. with your partner or whoever um and in terms of like what you want so like you know my choice was that like I wanted a monogamous relationship yes. with my partner Beautiful. but I wanted us to be able to talk about these things yes. and be open about it but for somebody else it might have been like no, actually, I want to have the kind of relationship where I feel like I could be free to pursue those feelings mm-hmm. if they were to come up again. And that is also totally valid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. And like, kind of like what you said as well, that's something that I kind of preach all the time, which is like, is it the thing itself that is causing you distress or is it resistance to the thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that is what is making you distressed? Yeah. Um, Yeah, because oftentimes it's the kind of like, like, for example, say you've got like low desire or a low sex drive. Is that actually causing problems or is it the 
expectation and the thoughts that you should have a higher sex drive that is actually causing the issues. Right, exactly. Whereas if you accepted the low desire for what it is, then maybe actually be like, ah, it's fine. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, that resistance to it that can make our suffering so much worse. I mean, that that could be applied across the board through all of our mental experience. You know, I start to get anxious and then I'm frustrated that I'm anxious and now I'm gone through the spiral instead of just being like, Okay, I'm anxious right now. I can take a deep breath. Yeah. This is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is okay. Yeah, the resist the resistance to the thing always either yeah. causes the pain in the first place or will exacerbate yeah, totally. any existing pain. Totally. Yeah. What I think is interesting too is like I know we were talking about kink a little bit earlier, like and the people who are so like look at it as this this far off, like I don't even know, we can use words like gross, scary practice. Like I yeah. would say I was a part of that community of people for a long Mm. time of very not understanding it you know coming from my Christian background and I just didn't realize how much I liked it until I met someone and then I started having multiple orgasms and was like well this is interesting I think I need to rethink my connection to that one um yep there's something deep there that like I just didn't even know like I would have categorized myself as a like strictly vanilla person I think there was a lot of times that I would be kind of like bored in sex craving (laughs) more and then to be able to have like um, kinky sex and to have that space it brought so much light and energy into this that it's been like Mm -hmm. so expansive and fun and just play at this point that like it's just changed how I view myself sexually and how I show Mm. up in my relationships and I had no idea no idea that I like yes because every time I'd go to watch porn and this is still true to me today is that like I think that when I think about the psychology we, we're like projecting onto people and for mm-hmm. me like when I would watch those I would project onto the people like I would see you know maybe a masculine presenting person and I'd be like ew like they're like degrading this person like that doesn't feel yeah. good like I don't I don't like watching that like oh god you know what I mean yeah. Um, and I think I couldn't really see that and enjoy that porn until I had been in a relationship with someone who was so loving and kind and tender with me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also did that stuff to me to which yeah. now when I watch the porn, I'm like, all right, like this is a person who is doing this with the container of both of them wanting this context, both of yeah. them desiring this. This is someone who cares about the other person on the other side. And so like, my ability to project out into those scenes that I'm watching is radically different than in the past. Yeah, but but also I think a lot of the porn doesn't show you the context. Oh, no. Yeah, and like you said, the container that yeah. needs to be to be established before any scene. But I do think there's there's been a big shift, especially in the kind of like ethical feminist porn mm, production world, where a lot of the directors and producers will film consent conversations before. Yes. Um, before they film and then they'll also upload those as like part of the film or yeah. it'll come like right before you then watch whatever the porn is and it's them talking just like oh yeah hi I'm this person and like these are the things I'm into and like you can touch me here but not here and like yes. da, da, da. and I love those yes. I mean I sometimes skip them but I'm glad that they're there <laughs> yes exactly because it allows us to see real sexual experiences which have that negotiation. And when the reality is that we're using porn as education because of how, you know, privatized sex is, then like we need, need to be having those 
conversation shown so that we can have some sort of way to learn on how to do Mm. these things. Because where else am I supposed to learn how that conversation looks, you know, what that conversation looks like? Yeah, the reality of it, because like, obviously porn's got its issues and stuff, but sure. it's where a lot of people are going for education. I don't think it's necessarily porn's responsibility to educate because, mm. it's you know, it's not like Hollywood's responsibility to educate us through, you know, entertainment. Sure. Um, but it can be nice when it does as well. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, but, you're, but it's because there are no other places. Absolutely. Where right. you're getting the education. Right. So it's like if porn is the only place, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we need the kind of like other, I guess you, you, you said like the privatization like mm-hmm. of sex. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe the, the like education element is the like the public yeah. area but- of sex. But so what does that look like if it's not porn, yeah. though? You know, that's the tricky mm-hmm. piece is like, what do we need? Like a, a audio recording of someone talking about their consent and then rolling through sex? Yeah. How do we oh, do that you mean like the actual, yeah, because like the actual practical example. Yeah, like how do, how, do yeah. You, how do you do that other than, mm-hmm. I guess you could use other things like an educational video or, or something. But like at some point, if you're going to give like a lived example of it, other than like a text and that's that's the problem. You can give a text transcript and that will not show you the lived experience of the tone, the body language, mm-hmm. the experience, the intimacy. And so it's like at some point we do need some sort of like uh, I would say visual representation that shows us what it's like. And like, yeah, maybe it's not porn because porn is a entertainment. Right. And I've had a lot of conversations with other yeah. um, researchers. But there's also there's yeah oh you interviewed her from uh sex school yeah totally. yeah yeah so I think there's yeah there's stuff happening in that I space love it. sure to yeah. have like explicit like it obviously is has to be for like 18 plus but explicit education because yeah. yeah you're right those, those things are useful I think most people without that do end up learning from experience which there is a beauty in because totally. most of us do there is something quite fun and joyous about just like letting your curiosity take you wherever yeah. it's going to go. But yeah, I think without without the kind of like foundation of a good toolkit when it comes to sex and relationships, learning by experience, you know, comes with its risks. But I don't know. I I I wish like my dream would be that like most people can learn from experience safely mm-hmm. in a way that they want because they've been given that toolkit through right. education and stuff and maybe porn is like like or not porn but like porn literacy yeah. is like half that toolkit um totally totally as yes. well yes um, i'm all here for imagining that future of what it's gonna look <laughs> like you know once there's more space to be able to talk about these things once there's more space for people to yeah like you said learn through experience because there's been more of an openness to have these sorts of conversations. And yeah. I think, I mean, you're a part of that movement. I'm part of that movement. And I think that that movement will go on long beyond our lifetimes. I think that that will go on when we are, you know, ancestors that they look back to <laughs> because there is so much change that needs to happen and it's slow moving, but like we're a part of that movement and people will stand on us in the future in the same way that we stand on all the, you know, feminists that made it possible for us to talk about contraception I was reading about Margaret Sanger just like getting Mm. arrested for having a magazine that talked about contraception. And I'm just like, whoop, that wasn't even 100 years ago. My God, you know, like, yeah. So 
I am trying to think long term in that one of like these, this work that we're doing here is is crucial and then we'll continue to live on after us and go even deeper. Yeah. 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 And now that I have a kid as well, like I definitely feel that mm. in terms of just thinking about like, I don't know, like the way that a lot of teenagers now talk about sex and relationships is so different to what yes. it was like when I was a teenager. And so I'm like, what is it going to be like when you're a teenager? Oh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just yeah. like, wow, what is that? What? Yes. Like, what is it going to be? I don't know. Totally. Because totally. Things, things change so fast and mm-hmm. also very slowly at the same time. <laughs> right. Yes. And that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you were talking earlier about, yeah, your new identity as a mom and how that has mm-hmm. been changing everything. I'd be curious if you could tell me more about, yeah, where you're at right now with, with motherhood and being a sex mm-hmm. educator. I think sometimes those cultural um, identities might feel conflicting at times given the society that we live under yeah I mean it's the classic like Madonna whore complex absolutely yeah (laughs) it's that but I mean luckily I don't feel that personally and my partner doesn't project that onto me at all yeah Um, but on, on a practical level being a sexual person is really difficult when you have a small person to look after. We bed share as well. So like literally like the baby sleeps next to me in the bed and then my partner sleeps on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but then, you know what? It's interesting that you mentioned the romance myth thing as well, because I imagine that that's part of the romance myth. Mm-hmm. So you have to share a bed. Yeah. You know? Oh, totally. That's you the know? relationship escalator um, right there. Yeah, like you have to share a bed and, you know, people like you could look at our relationship now on the outside and just be like, oh, my God, like you're not having sex. There's so much less intimacy. You're not sharing a bed, like all of these things. But I've never felt closer to my partner in terms of as this person who I'm building this life with, but then also as my sexual partner, even if we're not actually being sexual, like with each other but we make a real effort to kind of like nurture our sex life outside Mm -hmm. of sex and remind each other that we like find each other sexually attractive and like the you know the attraction and the desire is there even just if on a practical level it's just not possible for us right now and you know just being like and that's fine and again it kind of comes back to the like the resist if we resisted that and if we were like this is terrible then that would actually like cause more pain and stress in our relationship mm-hmm. than if we were just like, do you know what? This is just a phase. Like, totally. this is just like what it is. I'm really lucky that my partner is like chill about this kind of stuff. But then I don't like framing it as I'm lucky because yeah. actually like it should just be the norm because I do hear a lot of stories about, especially like um, cishet people in a, rela- mm-hmm. like, in a relationship who've just had kids for the first yeah, time. Yeah where like the man will be quite demanding about getting their sex life like back on track or like Mm -hmm. back to normal and the you know the birthing parent is just like you have no fucking clue what I've just gone through and what I'm like Mm -hmm. still going through Mm. and I do think that there is this kind of like bridge to cross in terms of understanding yeah Uh, in terms of just like what I've seen I'm Mm -hmm. again I feel lucky but also like it shouldn't be the case. It should be the norm. Absolutely. That it's not a pressure that I feel in my relationship at all. Mm-hmm. But I just I just do hear stories and I see posts on all of these like mum parent forums and stuff. Uh-huh. And it does make it does make me like really quite angry. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that there's just that, that there is a real 
it feels like for in a lot of relationships, like cishet relationships, mm-hmm. um, especially that you have a baby and then it just like creates this like chasm mm-hmm. where suddenly you can't relate to the other person. Like your experiences of it are so different mm. that it's really difficult to see where the other person is, yeah. is coming from and like their experience. Yeah, and it, it's kind of heartbreaking a lot of the stories mm-hmm. that I've heard. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm just like, <laughs> I get so mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. there needs to be a shift in how this is, you know, seen and the normalization around this time of the changes yeah. in the body. I'm, I'm curious, yeah, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it for me, it really unexpectedly, yeah. I, so I had a C-section and so I just assumed that my vagina would be absolutely fine. Right. Oh, no. It is sealed up tight. Oh. It, I don't know if it's vaginismus yeah. um, or it's just like like a really, I've, I've got basically just like a really tight, tense pelvic floor at the moment. Yeah. So I've been seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist to kind of, I've been given lots of exercises by the physiotherapist and also a body worker mm. in terms of like relaxing all of those muscles and stuff. Yeah. But then as a new mum, finding time to do all of that. So mm. it's really interesting that like I've experienced this like actual like biological like oh. block to my yeah. sex life, but then I'll, I just don't have the time to deal with it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, oh, that can wait. It's just like so low down on the priority list. Totally. And then also just practically it's tricky when my baby is asleep in the bed next to me <laughs> right right of course of course yeah. and I think but again it, I'm just like it's a phase it's temporary totally totally but I can imagine yeah. there's probably so much frustration that like the body is is responding in a way that maybe you didn't choose that's not how yeah. maybe you wanted and, to show and up. also like I'm like wasn't expecting it as well yeah. so it's just like oh great there's so much especially like in the first few months postpartum like your body is just doing so much fucking weird shit yeah and and then like to throw this at me as well I was like really right another thing to think about right 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 <laughs> exactly on to the list of all yeah. the things I'm trying to manage already now yeah. my body is giving me this and now my partner is wanting that and now yeah. I'm sitting here probably feeling horrible in between that yeah 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 it's oh. it's interesting as well like um like my partner's been really cool about it like obviously like still with the like oh can't wait until we could do that again yeah, like, yeah. no pressure kind of thing yeah um but I think because it's my body mm-hmm. I originally kind of like thought about it as like my problem mm-hmm. that's my responsibility to fix and mm. um, rather than it being something that's like actually a team effort because we've got a shared goal <laughs> yes um and so when I originally paid for like my first physiotherapy session because I went private for it I paid for that out of my own money mm. and then I was just like hang on a second yeah. this needs to come out the joint account Totally. And so then I had a conversation with my partner about it. And and so now anything to do with medical appointments to help with that, like if it, you know, if it's private, then we'll pay for it out of the joint account. But even then that was like, I had to kind of gear myself up to have that conversation of like, um, you know, like, right. can, we, can, you, can you like chip in 50%? Um, right. To like help my vagina. Totally. <laughs> 
But I love that. Uh, yeah. That framing is so important of this is a team project rather than letting it all fall onto me, feeling like something's wrong with me and I need to figure this out. It's like, yeah. oh, we are doing this together as a team. And I think that that sort of framing is really important because our perspective shapes everything, right? And so when you mm-hmm. see it as a team endeavor, it takes that pressure off of the individual and it makes you feel supported. You're not just trying to figure this out by yourself. You have a team member who wants the same goal and is there to walk with you in that. And that framing can be so crucial to how we see the experience and then thus how we show up in the experience. Yeah. I mean, and that kind of mentality applies just like all of parenting as well. I'm sure. For sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. And all of just anything, right? Even push it even bigger. Mm -hmm. Like, as myself, like going through a lot of like conversations around non-monogamy, it's like mm. there's always something, you know, where I'm like, <laughs> I'm insecure about this or this is over here and this is scary, you know, and it's like being able to yeah. get trust that, you know, whether you're raising children, whether you're starting a business with someone, whether you're doing non-monogamy, yeah. whatever the hell you're doing with these people, like we are building things together that are difficult and worthy of that difficulty, right? Like we are building mm. really important things with these people. Seeing yourself as on the same team can absolutely change the space of how you show up and how you feel supported. When I think about like all of the relationship therapy stuff, they always talk about like seeing that you're on the same page and that trusting the other person is there for you, trusting that they have Mm -hmm. capability to be there for you. Because the second we start rolling down that thought of they can't do this, they're never going to show up, you know what happens? We start showing up differently. We start coming up frustrated. We start being short. We start doing all these things. And so it's so radical how important that like mindset of how you see your partner, how you see the challenge that you're confronting together will change how the whole container unfolds. It's radical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) So taking time to just be clear on those perspectives. I think that's where I always like the... um. The question, like the story I'm telling myself is, you know, the narrative and like that's applicable mm-hmm. through all things. My God, through mental health. Yeah. Anything is like, what is the story I'm telling myself about myself, about our connection, about our partnership, about our ability to parent? Like, man, that stuff. is Yeah, because your brain will just like fill in the gaps and just like make up stuff. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And um, try to protect you. Yeah. 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 And also like sometimes I've. This is just a funny story that I like to share when it comes to kind of like, I remember when my partner did something that pissed me off Mm -hmm. and I can't even remember what the thing was. Like, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I told myself the story that, you know, it was intentional and he was hurting me or, or at best it was like negligence. Like he wasn't thinking about me. And so I got hurt. Um, He was going off to work and we do those like recipe boxes things for dinner and there were like two left and it's like okay which one do you want for dinner and he picked one and then but because I was like stewing in my own like Mm -hmm. resentment all day I was like you know what I'm gonna cook the one he didn't want (laughs) I was like I was like oh revenge like literally in the ditch (laughs) served warm he didn't notice didn't even notice but then what happened to us is I told him afterwards I was like that thing that you did this morning like hurt me and so as an act of revenge I cooked you the meal that you didn't want and now we just laugh about it because it's so fucking ridiculous but I told myself this this like story that was almost Mm -hmm. like a Hollywood film of like 
I was hurt. And so therefore I have to do something spiteful mm-hmm. so that he knows that I was hurt. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, it was very yeah. silly, but I like to laugh about it now because it's just so pathetic. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you shared it. I think that's the important yeah. piece is like, can we sit down with our partners and tell them like, this is how I'm feeling. And so I'm reacting like this. And like, yeah, it takes a level of self-awareness and practice of feeling comfortable to share that of like yeah. knowing what's going on inside our own internal experience. But my I remember God. just feeling so petty and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd always just like, I was laughing at myself yeah. for the pettiness. And so yeah. I just wanted to share that with him to have somebody to laugh about it. With me. I'm telling you. I was like, I just did a thing. You haven't even noticed. It's so ridiculous. But also you kind of did hurt my feelings this morning. Yeah. And being able to say that is so important. And that's how you get closer, right? Is being able to Mm -hmm. express that. And, you know, yeah, there's been, I've had multiple experiences with this, with like my partner and processing other partners where I'm just like, I want to come back and be like, you know, like in some sort of way and be very aggressive or like um, not try to show that I'm insecure because that might make me sound like I can't do this or something. Yeah. But like the reality is these emotions that we have are outside of our control. OK, yeah. what is within our control is how we show up with them. And so if I mm-hmm. have that feeling of wanting to cook the other recipe or if I have that feeling of wanting to be like, screw you, it's like I can also take a deep breath, come to my partner and be like, you know, I'm having this desire right now. I'm not going to do it, but I have, I'm having it and I'm processing through it. And yeah. like, we do yeah. not beat ourselves up for the desire. We do not beat us about, beat ourselves up for having that emotional response that is outside of our control. It's like, we have to see ourselves through the mindful choices that we are creating. That is who we are. And I think that can be so tricky when we're in our head because we hear all the shitty things. Like when I'm judging people, I can hear that judgment in my head. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, who I am is how I choose to show up with that. You know what I mean? Like I check that shit. I put it back. I do my best. I process it with other people to try and grow. But throughout yeah. this, we're all going to judge people. And it's like, but how you show up is what is important. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I want to hold a little bit of space as we come towards the end of our time here in case there is anything lingering for you that you felt like maybe we didn't hit today. Otherwise, I have a closing question for you. Oh, hit me with the closing question. Okay. So the closing question is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Oh. Yeah. Take any interesting. Any oh, way you I, want. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just going to, like, spend. You can cut all of this out. You can cut all the thinking time out. Totally. And I'll just, <laughs> like, coming up with an amazing response just, yes. like, super quick. Totally. I think I originally started with nipple hairs because I was so insecure about it. <laughs> I was just like, my God, someone else has to have this right. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that would... Okay, then. In that case, that's that's inspired me. Yeah. Um, a protruding inner labia. Mm, what is that? little where your like inner flap is bigger than the outer flap. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Has there been a lot of insecurity about that one? Um, Do you know what? For some reason, no. I don't know what it is. Totally. But it's it's kind of like a, um, something fun. Like, like, it's kind of like, it's endearing. Like, my, like, my partner's just like, oh, there it is. Hello. Like, it's, yes, I think it's a case of like, you know, you can go from one extreme to the other where like, either it's all you can see and you're really insecure about it 
to then you just ignore it. Mm. Like, it's not here. We just, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like the kind of like, no, we acknowledge that I've got like a really weird looking labia and that's fine. And that's cool. And oh. I like that middle ground of like acknowledging it, but celebrating it rather than shaming it kind of thing. And I, yeah, I want so everyone to know that whatever your labia is doing is normal. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It is your beautiful body and you are the only person with that body and it is beautiful. I always think about nature and the way that, you know, you can look at a tree and it's got multiple leaves. But we don't ever look at one leaf and be like, well, that is not completely the same as this other leaf. So you know what? That is an ugly leaf. What a wonky leaf. I know. I know. And it's like we forget that like we are nature as well. And we all have different sizes, shapes, configurations. But the problem is we've been told like this is the leaf. This is the (laughs) leaf. And if you are not this leaf, then you are weird. And it's like that is not how nature shows up. We have such a smattering of different types of Mm. sizes and shapes and colors. And, oh, I really appreciate you sharing that as something to normalize because I think the more people talk about that and celebrate the beauty of what that is and their unique, you know, beautiful body, there'll be more space for people to feel comfortable in theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was such a pleasure to have you. Where do you want to plug? Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, where do you want to plug to um, people who want to connect with you and your work? Yeah, so most of my, like, sex and relationships videos are on youtube.com forward slash Hannah Witten. And then my podcast where I interview lots of different people about sex and relationships is called Doing It, Doing It Podcast. And then if you're just interested in kind of learning more about me and my life, I kind of upload vlogs and life and parenting stuff on my youtube channel which is called more hannah i love that i love that i'm excited to see your journey continue to unfold as you are an educator in the space and a a new mom congratulations thank you yeah it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast thank you oh it was so fun thank you If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.